0: Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 41 of Transition Talk where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. Partnership agreements are crucial to a healthy work relationship or marriage. They hopefully are a document that you draft, agree to, and never look at again But if you do have to look at it, it's often when things go wrong or when they don't go as anticipated. And when you have to look at that agreement, you better hope the document is thorough. So today, we're gonna tell you a little story. Once upon a time, there were two people who wanted to be partners. They got along, they worked at similar paces, they trusted each other. But that was then, and this is now. Now, life has thrown them both curveballs they didn't anticipate. They now have different goals and different plans. One wants out, so he goes to their handy partnership agreement, and this is where things get interesting. But before we finish off that lovely cliffhanger, Charles. Hello, Christy. Hello. So I thought it would be interesting for us both to say what we think is the one piece of advice we would give someone if they're entering a partnership given today's topic.
1: Well, you hit on it earlier, like that marriage thing, and so it just you have to feel that you're better off with that person. You've got to feel fortunate. You've got to feel blessed. You've got to tell all your friends and family, this is an amazing. I can't believe I got this opportunity. You know, selflessly thinking, I think about my relationship with my wife, selflessly thinking, sitting across from you. Mm-hmm. I do feel that I'm in a better position with you and my partner. I think about my 10 partners at Kane Waters. Absolutely. Do I think that they all bring an amazing asset you know, to this partnership? I could not be in this position without them. I think about even our team members that work work with us. Uh, just You've got to have that sense of just... I freaking love my partner, and I will do whatever it takes to make this work. Certainly, the financials need to be there. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you've got to be able to see big picture that all of these things work, kind of like uh, that. like episode 36, be able to kind of see it, how mm-hmm. it's been working. Out. Mm-hmm. We all need to be compensated and all that's got to be fair, but... I mean, man, uh, that like and love thing is, is so important to me.
0: Well, you're now making me feel like a really bad person <laughs> because...
1: I wasn't on your short list as far as what it takes to be a partnership agreement. No. Oh, I'm so, okay. hurt, so
0: my advice, it's the most uncomfortable thing, but I think it just comes from like working with people and them not wanting to ask the hard questions because what? they're scared of making the other person think they don't trust them. So it's kind of like trust but verify. Because I feel like in a partnership, you have to be able to ask the hard questions and think about all of the awful what ifs. And we're going to talk about those today. But like, what if this were to happen? Does this document cover it? And I just think if you can have like the hard conversations when you're in like the levy stage and everything's going well, then you probably can handle them whenever it's not. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my thing. But it does go back to trusting the other person on many different levels. But I think you have to ask the questions.
1: I like it. <laughs> that, that's the CPA side of you. <laughs> and this is the global Charles approach. Cold, hard, and Christy. <laughs>
0: Never has been said. All right. So let's get going. So first, Charles is going to tell us a quick story. And then we're going to break it down because, trust me, there's a lot. And we're going to talk about how to try to maybe avoid some of these if you're headed down the partnership road and just some kind of rules of thumb that we think are good to have in partnership agreements. So take it away.
1: Yeah. So this week, and what's so cool about these podcasts is literally every week we could take a conversation that Christy and I have and be able to put a podcast together Mm -hmm. on, on that particular topic. So this is something that just happened this week. So I'm going to tell you the story. And I was a little bit in shock after doing this for 20 years. So here's the deal. We have two guys working together. They run a $3 million business, and it's got a great overhead of 50%. So that means they both make approximately $750,000. Life is good. Doctor one does $1.2 million. Doctor, doctor two does $1.2 million. They check hygiene of another, call it $600,000, and this thing works amazing. My younger doctor is in his 40s, older doctors in his 60s. Doctor in his 60s says, I'm out. I'm ready to retire, so uh, he says, I need some help buying it, and I need to figure out this deal. I said, well, what does your partnership agreement say? And I cannot make this up, okay? So the way it's stated is my buyer doctor, my younger one, has to buy the senior doctor out, and the way that it's calculated is the valuation is basically $3 bucks, Okay, so now I've got to buy out my senior guy for $1.5 million. a so 100% of 100% collections. 100% of collections is the way that okay. this calculation is kind of written into this agreement. There's actually a lot of thought that goes into that part. So he has to give a two-year notice. It's supposed to be a written notice now. So far it's just verbal notice, but had written notice yet. But if one of them finds an associate to work in the practice, from the time the associate is found, doesn't say if they start in the practice or that an agreement that's set out there, that starts a six-month window. So now it's six months after the associate starts, now all of a sudden my younger doctor actually goes, see, $1.5 million. Now, can you imagine this? Now just say if you're a D4, you're coming out. You're telling me the D4 now is going to be responsible for doing $1.5 million of hygiene and doctors? No way. No way. So now my younger person buys them out. They can't do the work. Maybe my associate, heck, leaves, quits. This is such a risk, in this case, for my junior doctor. Okay. So I'm like, well, how does it work? What does it say about disability? Because that's what happened to this guy. He got a little scared. That's what happens to guys when they get in their late 50s and 60s. They have a scare. They have a little heart scare. They got this scare.
0: They're invincible until they're not. Yes. So he
1: got a little scared. And so technically, he can apply for disability at this point in his life. Mm -hmm. So what's the agreement say about that? Same thing. 100%. So you're telling me he goes tomorrow, claims disability. At that point, he can't physically come back and work for you because it will impact how he gets paid his disability check. So now you got to write him 1500000 million. You've got nobody.
0: And you have to do it in a shorter amount of time.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is like, it's like a median. It's like a six-month window that you're automatically going to start writing this check to buy this guy $1.5 million. And so I was like, well, how does it work if he dies? He's like, well, that's the funny part. I'm like, this wasn't funny already. So if the guy dies, he and his family... They get nothing. So there's it's nothing the in the worst. agreement that says. That this guy's built half of a $3 million value, 1.5. If he dies, he and his family get nothing. So I'm like, so you're kind of better off if the guy dies. <laughs> We're still laughing about this. <laughs> but I mean, oh my gosh. And what Chris and I are going to talk about today is the importance of the partnership agreement and the importance of thinking about how this thing is going to work. Because the one thing about a legal agreement is you're going to look at it two times in your life. You'll look at it when you sign it the first time. And you're going to look at it when there's a problem. Life insurance policies, that's an agreement. It's a legal agreement between you and the insurance. You're going to look at it when the person dies. You're going to look at it when you become disabled. You're going to look mm-hmm. at it when there's a flood. When you're going to look at it when there's some type of business interruption. You're going to look at your legal agreement when there's a problem. So not just the like and love it, big picture, Charles, mm-hmm. but the details of how this thing is going to work and those challenging conversations that you need to have, Christy. That you are advising all of our (laughs) buyers and sellers to have to protect them when this little thing happens in their life and we've got to look at lead agreements.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about this as you were talking. What's funny, if this isn't your world and you don't do this often and you've never had a partnership before and you don't have any experience with that, some people might hear what you said and say, okay, so what's wrong with that? Right. Or, I mean, if he dies, that seems pretty fair that he wouldn't get anything. So I think part of it is because we do this every day that we are so shocked by that story. So we're going to break it down and we're going to tell you what we think should happen and what is happening. So you can kind of see the difference and maybe understand a little more about that. So we call these the four D's. Any partnership agreement, in our opinion, should cover these in some shape, fashion, or form. So death, disability, departure, so meaning retirement or you leave, and then disagreement. So We're going to start with death. (laughs) Let's start with the most positive and uplifting (laughs) one there is. Okay. So in your story, if the partner died, then the remaining partner didn't have to pay anything. So deceased partner gets nothing family. Let's just think about this. So your spouse has worked hard for 30 years and they'll helped build this partnership and something unfortunate happens and they are deceased. They have been your breadwinner and they've helped provide for your family and they are gone. Right. how do you feel that you've just left your family with yeah, nothing it's, yeah, it's right yep. and so what is normal here tell me what we would hope to see regarding death and partnership agreements yes yeah, so what you want to
1: do here is we need to have life insurance policy that's going to protect in this case you Christy or Chris or Roxanne you know we need to protect them so typically we're going to get quotes on the old guy so my insurance policy is maybe going to be more expensive. You know, mm-hmm. Not always. Mm-mm. No? Not, not always. always. Not always. There are some cases when a <laughs> young person is, is going to cost the insurance more than the other. But the bottom line is we are going to both take out insurance policies that are going to protect us. And the policy amount is going to be an amount that's fair, that makes financial sense, to basically cover the value of the business. And so back in my example, on my $3 million two-guy partnership, you know, somewhere around a million plus for each of us, I Mm -hmm. think that's perfectly fine. Yeah. And so, you know, if it's a million dollar policy and that protects, you know, basically the value of the business and something that we can look at maybe every several years. We have a life insurance policy today, but 10 years from now, we went from a $2 million practice to a $5 million practice Mm -hmm. and it's just us and we need to increase that insurance and increase our beneficiaries amounts to our spouses. And so we're both going to pay for that equally, by the way.
0: Yep. We're going to pay equally no matter what the premiums are. It's a partnership expense. Yes. And typically how that would work is I pass away. My life insurance policy goes to my family for the purchase price, which is going to be defined in the agreements of what that buyout price is at death. And then the excess, if there is any, is going to go to the practice because they've been paying the premium. So it's a revenue source for the practice, whatever's extra, if there is any. But again, reassessing that if we start a partnership and we grow significantly, that life insurance policy really doesn't help us if we've never upped it or reassessed it and the practice is now double what it used to be.
1: Yeah. So the way that's going to work is again, clearly defined in our partnership agreement, it's going to talk about how that buyout price is calculated. So if the buyout price is $1.2 million Mm -hmm. uh, is the estimated calculation for the value and there's only $1 million of payout, then hopefully your financial advisor is looking at this, reviewing these types of agreements and knowing that uh, we're short. Now, when you go back to the insurance guy or gal, maybe take out another quarter million, even a half million dollars to protect us. And so in that example, if it was a 1.2 buyout and we had 1.5 now, then 1.2 of that would be To purchase and then 300,000 would go to my So I'm not sure why I'm I'm killing myself off. You know know what? I'm gonna kill you off, you know? (laughs) Well,
0: you know what? That's actually a good point because when we talk to partners, when there's a big difference in old and young, oftentimes it is very much seen as like something that's detrimental to the old guy and it's just a young guy trying to protect him from the old guy. Young people die too. Um, Young people die too, okay? (laughs) All of these things can happen to anyone. Okay, so let's talk about. Disability. So, disability very similar to death. Nice, good job. Not super positive. Negative to negative. um, But probably more common, um, and especially given how you dentists use your bodies, something to think about. So. In your story, the way they had handled disability was that the remaining doctor, so the one who was not disabled, was going to pay 100% of collections to buy out the disabled partner. Okay? So, one, you know, my valuation piece is like, why 100%? Like, what about overhead? What if that doesn't make sense? But then the second piece of that is, if I'm the remaining partner and you are disabled, and I haven't replaced you, I'm having to pay for something that really no longer exists.
1: Exactly. Right? Can't do the work and yeah. your overhead's gone up because, you know, the senior guy's out and now we got issues like, okay, if I'm buying you out, even if I wanted to give you a million five, I had to go borrow the money. I don't have yeah. a million five sitting around and so the bank's going to be, they're going to look at this this practicing like the valuation, oh, you can't do the work. It's been going down from three million. Now this guy's out, and now it's pacing two million dollars. I'm gonna give you a million and a half, even if I wanted to. Yeah,
0: it's really, really hard.
1: It's gonna be a huge problem. So, you know, one of the things that it's got to be able to trigger is when this takes place, and then it's got to have this calculation on the value. Then you got to figure out how this is gonna work. And, and typically, how you know some of the cane Waters partnerships are handled is it's it's kind of like a seller financing. And so, in other words we're not going to go to the bank. We're just going to actually pay you out over, you know, like a seven or 10 year period. So we'll come up with this calculation that makes sense. That's kind of good for you. You get a nice steady income stream through your disability period. Hopefully you're getting a disability check because you've got Disability adec- insurance. Yeah, <laughs> adequate amount of, yep. uh, of insurance. And so that's how we're going to solve that. And when it's coming to the calculation of this practice, all of a sudden we have incentives now to have this associate to come in here to hopefully help us in to sustain our $3 million business. You can't just become disabled like I get in a check and I'm out. Yeah, It's very much a pressure for you and your partner to figure this out.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of times we'll see in the disability, right, even if the value piece is right and they require disability insurance, what we'll see is how do we know you're disabled, right? Is it that you have to have a doctor give you a diagnosis of something? Is it just you've been out for a certain amount of time? Right is the amount of time that you're going to be out actually signify disability or does it signify something else? For example, reviewing a female buyer's partnership agreement she was going to enter a partnership that already existed and her simply having a baby and being out for, you know, 2 months would trigger this disability clause. Not intentional, not kind of targeted at her. They're just two old guys who never had to think about being out for, you know, short term to have a baby. So, you know, understanding what that definition of disability is and then making sure it's applicable to your situation. Do we understand when that would be triggered? Oftentimes we'll see it. you have to be out a certain number of consecutive days over a certain amount of time. So sometimes I've seen it where it's not even a continuous, right? If you're out a certain number of days in a six-month period. So if it's something where... Um, I don't know, you have really, really severe migraines and you're out for two weeks at a time and you end up being out 24 of the 52 weeks. Like, does that trigger it? Those things are things to consider. And then if you have someone replace you, for example, in maternity leave or in maybe you had a doctor, he just broke his femur and is out for a long time. Like, I think it's like six weeks he has to be out doing therapy and with surgery. If he has an associate that comes in and replaces him, that counts towards his production Mm -hmm. for a certain amount of time. So kind of thinking about all those possibilities and, again, all the worst-case scenarios and how we resolve those because those could happen to either doctor.
1: Look, we're not trying to push the old guy or young guy out because they become disabled. We're looking to protect you. Remember when I said... The number one thing we're looking for is the like and love and trust. Just because my partner, you know, goes down, I'm not trying to figure out how to kick him or her out. I'm trying to figure out how to support him or her. But at the same time, we don't want someone to take advantage of the partnership.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the remaining partner has an undue burden now of both production and probably administratively running the practice. And that's probably been a shared duty, too. So how long do you get to participate in your ownership profits if you aren't producing anything and you're not in there and you can't help, right? So what level of involvement can you have? Maybe you can be involved in processing payroll and managing staff, but you can't clinically be in a chair because of whatever your disability is, right? Like, what are we talking about there?
1: Yeah, I mean, you got problem A, unfortunately, your partner is down. Problem B is, unfortunately, probably the practice production, collections, you know, net profit are all Mm -hmm. down. Problem C is that he or she that's sitting at home for whatever reason is taking advantage of it, you know, for whatever that has to do with it, then we've got a whole other set of problems. And that, again, is where you're actually going to look at the legal agreement and try to figure this thing out.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's a line of personal and business, right? Like personally, I care for you, but business wise, this is killing us. Right. And we have to figure out a way to make this fair and equitable. And hopefully you're both like and love and respect each other. Then you as the disabled partner probably don't want to be taking advantage or or doing those things right but again worst case scenario what does the agreement say make sure it's thorough because it protects both of you okay so next is departure yes which is kind of a catch-all for any time you leave when you're not forced out or it's not a physical reason you're leaving right right? so the most common of this is retirement Mm -hmm. so i'm um, out (laughs) (laughs) need to go check our partnership agreement about that so notice periods are big here right if you want to voluntarily leave or retire how long do i need to give my other partners notice that i'm leaving so in the case of a dental practice i can replace you that's Mm -hmm. kind of the ultimate goal let's talk about notice periods because this is not a one-size-fits-all what are your thoughts on notice periods written verbal 60 days 90 days two years five years
1: You certainly want to look at the big picture. Is this an oral surgery practice in rural, you know, Ohio, that you're not going to find anybody to replace you, and it's a $4 million, $5 million practice? Then, to me, if I'm working with a buyer or seller, I'd probably have some very realistic two-and-a-half to three-year type of window. I would say the general response is a two-year notice. Mm -hmm. So then it has to do with the other details as far as how the valuation would be calculated in that notice. We'll talk about that and kind of our buyout price, but a two-year notice is certainly reasonable and fair from a timeline standpoint. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah. So I think too, it's important to know when we're talking about a notice period, you're prepping the other parties you're going to leave and also giving them a headway and to find someone else to replace you or to buy in or pick up that production. So. You know, for me, when you talk about, like, the oral surgery in rural Alabama or something, it's going to be hard to find that person, and so all of you need to be on board with finding that replacement. I think as the partners that are going to be there and have to work with this person, given the retiring person is departing, then they're going to have to be involved and like that person and be there. What I want to keep in mind though, is that the retiring partner is not like an indentured servant. Like you can't strap them to the practice and never let them leave if you don't like the people that are found. Like You do at some point, you're going to have to buy them out. If you don't find someone to replace them, if they give proper notice, you can't force them to continue to work and be there.
1: Yeah. And you want to have it where it just makes financial sense. So that, again, it has to do with just the type of practice and specialty location. If I'm a GP in the New England area today where practices, you know, are selling for pretty much 100% of collections. And I know I can always find an associate that I'm going to be much more open looking at my partnership agreements today and these clauses for departure and future buyout price, just because I know I'm somewhat protected. There's a yeah. demand that is there. So you have to always think of it on both sides. You can't just think of this as a nervous buyer, but you also got to think about this as, as a seller, what it's going to be like, you know, for you. So the seller that just says, I'm out, you have to pay me a hundred percent of collections, You're both significantly at risk through that
0: process. Absolutely. And I also think it's important to understand what retirement means. Like for most of us, we think I'm older, I'm going to sail off into the sunset and do whatever we're going to do when we're retired. But for some agreements, retirement just means you're leaving the practice voluntarily, right? So what does your practice define retirement as? Does it say you're never going to practice dentistry again? Or does it say you're just leaving and you're giving notice that you're retiring from the partnership? Maybe you're 50, your kids move Move to you're in Tennessee and they move to Texas and you don't want to be in a partnership in Tennessee anymore because you want to move to Texas to be near them and you'll be an associate or be an independent contractor, right? If you practice dentistry in Texas now and your agreement says that you're not allowed to practice dentistry... Well, now, are you in violation of your partnership agreement by kind of withdrawing from that partnership under kind of a false pretense? Like, I don't know. Right. But we've definitely seen agreements that have specific definitions for retirement and how retiring is different from like voluntarily leaving. We kind of see them as the same thing as long as the proper notice is given. Again, we're not trying to tie you to this forever, but I think it's important to understand Something to think about that I've seen quite often is really only important if there is a great disparity or there's not a great disparity in the age of the partners. Mm -hmm. So we have seen some partnership agreements come through with clauses that allow the established doctor to leave... Voluntarily and retire. Old guy. Old maybe, guy. Okay. Without penalty. But the young guy can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. If the young guy tries to voluntarily leave or retire, whatever that means, um, then they get a reduced price or they have this penalty attached to them. And the justification for that is that, young guy, you are my retirement and my transition plan and I wouldn't do this unless you were here. You know, I wouldn't be doing this unless I wanted to retire. And so... You now kind of can't leave without penalty, but I can, okay? Mm -hmm. I have a hard time with that sometimes. So I have a hard time with that, not when it's a 65-, 70-year-old, established doctor, 60-year-old, and the 30-year-old, right?
1: Never.
0: I have a hard time when it's like the 38- and the 42-year-old, right? Maybe the second career guy or the guy who waited too long to own and the guy who owned right off and now has a practice big enough to need a partnership because... There's not a huge age discrepancy there, and just life happens.
1: Yeah, so take a 42-year-old in that example, goes out and has bad investments, doesn't save for retirement. Perhaps when he's 60, gets a divorce, and is in the state, has alimony, happens to have five kids with all but through private school. So maybe that guy— Going to work forever. Forever. Will be working until they're 80-something. And then my younger guy, probably a Cain Waters client, ended very well on their retirement. <laughs> <laughs> and they can retire at a reasonable age, maybe a 60s, and so all of a sudden their partnership agreement they signed 20 years ago, that now is only protecting one person uh, mm-hmm. in this equation. So yeah, absolutely, you gotta make sure that that's fair on both sides. The other thing too, when you think about departure and retirement, is many times you're getting out of the partnership. And so if there is some unique risk to that, to my buyer where they can't do all the work like in my $3 million example earlier. And we can just come together as two partners and say, look, you recognize I can't do the work. And then his response is, I know, I get it. I'm going to be here with you, but you recognize that I'm trying to spend more time with my family and I need to have a plan and I want to start this process. Okay, I get it. So why don't we plan this fair? You can put your retirement in. We'll work on the associate thing together, but I'm not going to be able to get a loan for $1.5 million. And I'm totally comfortable if you want to do seller financing through this. And so I know that it will keep you a little bit at risk and Mm -hmm. have, uh, I don't just stroke a check and you're gone. Not that I'm not saying you're going to do that, but there's an incentive for both. Is that okay? And do you feel comfortable with that? I mean, this is an example of how a mediator would handle something like that. And just, again, like I love two people, just let's let's figure this out together. Not try to get two attorneys to figure out how Clause 3 and Paragraph 4 say, write me a check.
0: Yeah. Because that's no fun, which leads to four, which is disagreement. Okay. So disagreement is when things go real wrong. So first is pretty straightforward, actually, for cause. One of you does something that your agreement details out is a reason for automatic termination of the partnership. Usually that is you lose your license, you commit a felony, you have an addiction, you do something really wrong, patient, malpractice, whatever it might be, Right. right? So those are pretty straightforward. My caveat there would be to make sure that your agreement is as detailed as you want it to be, right? Let's not have these big, broad, sweeping things that you have to get attorneys involved to prove happened. Let's try to make them as specific as possible, List out things that are realistic to happen. Again, worst case scenario. The other piece of this is if you just don't get along anymore, right? right? More common. That's harder. Mm-hmm. Irreconcilable differences. Right. Advice there is uh, try to figure it out, right? Because if you don't, the separation is really messy. Yes. And really probably detrimental to both of you.
1: Yes. So just some backdrop and stories or so on our King side, there's literally hundreds of dental partnerships they put together, and they're very, very, very few that actually split up. I mean, it's a very small number uh, on a per year basis. And I think one of the reasons that they don't split is because they're educated on the economics of when they do split. It's just painful. What happens is two doctors, they'll run a $3 million practice like this and they'll get their overhead down really, really low you know, in the low 50s. And all of a sudden, they just don't like each other. They just kind of rub each other the wrong way now. And so they feel they're better off on their own. They feel like, I don't want you to pay for this lab. I don't want to pay for this equipment. And I'm taking the practice on this. And I'm doing all the administration. So what takes place is if you want to break up, it's expensive. Now, all of a sudden, you're in a big building. You need to now leave. So when you leave, you want all nice new stuff. So it's going to cost you probably 700000 to go build a nice new spot with all the nice bells and whistles because I don't need to set up two ops and three ops. I need to set up six ops, five ops just to run mm-hmm. my half of my $1.5 million. So that's going to be expensive. And then you're going to take all your patients fighting over who what team goes over here. Next thing is your other partner. Now his practice overhead doesn't go from... 50% now it probably goes to like 60, 62%. And people are trying to figure out who gets the website, who gets the phone number. It is Yeah, that's awful. Painful. So you want to make sure that your agreement talks about this and how it's going to work, but in the end you need to have clauses that basically say let's just gonna kind of go to mediation or a group to help kind of advise you. Mediation is gonna tell you not to do this or two attorneys getting paid six hundred bucks an hour, and then they're going to tell you to keep showing up next week so they can run up more legal legal bills. But bottom line is just just have a plan here in, in this section too.
0: And then all of these, I mean, those are the four Ds: so death, disability, departure, disagreement. All of these should reference and should be defined in your agreement. Some kind of buyout price. So if this happens and all of these things are met. This is what your buyout price would be, whether that's fair market value, whether it's a value you guys have previously agreed upon in the case of departure or disagreement, that buyout price, whatever it is, typically will then also have a haircut. And when I say haircut, meaning let's say we agree that it's a million dollars, right? The fair market value comes to a million dollars based on however it's agreed on in the agreement. Then if you don't give proper notice, maybe it's a 40% haircut on whatever that agreement is. And the reason for that haircut is because if you don't give proper notice, you've hurt the practice, you've hurt the remaining partners, and therefore you have to pay a penalty on what you're getting for your piece. In order to leave. Clearly, if you leave because you lost your license, then the thought process is there that there's no goodwill that you're really leaving behind. And so sometimes that haircut's as big as 80%. So there needs to be some kind of penalty. If we don't follow the rules of our agreement and we don't do what we say we're going to do, then our buyout price is affected and we have to pay the price for that. So it's important that that buyout price is in there. It's important that we understand what it is. It's important there's non-competes in there that are subject to whatever buy Price we're agreeing upon. And there's just so so much to cover in partnership agreements. There is. We were talking before this episode and we have what happens when old guy and young guy or gal have inequalities in production, right? We might have started out at one point, but now old guy is slowing down and young gal's speeding up and but we still own fifty-fifty. Well, how does that work? How are we compensated? Is it just eat what you kill? Is it eat what you kill plus some kind of ownership percentage? What does that look like? What if one person owns the building and the other doesn't, right? What about future buy-ins or future kind of equalizing payments? There's so, so much to cover, and so we're going to be doing that on future episodes, probably the next one, if we can schedule that.
1: But you know what's awesome is we were just talking 30 minutes ago about what our next 10 episodes are going to look like, mm-hmm. and the fact that we just can sit in here and come up with, we're not talking about this, this, and this, and this. It's like, we've got more to talk So about.
0: much content.
1: So much more content. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so stay tuned for that one. Hope this was Helpful if you're considering a partnership or just don't know what's in your future. Remember, we're here to walk you through wherever that path may lead as long as it leads to ownership. So that's it for today. Remember to subscribe to Transition Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. And as always, like us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Have a great week. All right, thank you. Until next time.